Welcome to Help from Future Self. What's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I'm your Keyforge friend. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I'm also known as Alex, and I am joined this week, as with every week, by my coach, my pal, my Keyforge compadre. It's Boulevard Paper Fight. What's going on, Blake? Yeah, man. How's it going? Not bad, not bad at all. This will probably come as very little surprise to folks who checked out the uh, the episode last week where we ran down a bunch of Coda cards and talked about whether they were better or worse or about the same as they were now in the current Keyforge meta. We're doing it again, and we're going to do it with the Age of Ascension, which honestly I think is actually a little more interesting to examine because the Age of Ascension is a set that you and I both have affection for, Blake, and that we have some decks that we really like from that set, but that widely is regarded to have been underpowered at the time of release. So I think there's a lot of meat on the bone in this conversation. Yeah, indeed. I'm uh, I'm pretty excited to get into it. And it's uh, it's fun to reflect on the past and how it has taken us now in the present. I'll ask you this. Uh, do you have any AOA decks that you play regularly still? Yes. Yeah. I do. Uh, I have a couple, actually. Yeah, are they like a standard sort of AOA archetype decks of a certain kind, or are they just very strong, solid examples of the best of AOA? Like, do you... No, do you yeah, just... they don't have like... It's not like a proc deck or a Martian Generosity, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's not like that. It's just really strong. Like, I've, I've won that I, I literally like regularly will use for tournaments. Actually, in preparation for this episode, I dusted off my old favorite, my uh, my deck that has uh, uh, Brig, but also Martian Generosity, which is super fun to play. Um, it's oh, not definitely. super competitive, but I just love playing it so much because it's one of those things where it's like if it comes up right, it can beat way better decks. But that's only like a one in three, maybe one in four chance of doing that. But the chance of it happening is enough to keep the game fun for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, mine. Uh, the the two decks that I regularly play is is one that has a Restringuntis in it. It's basically Shadows, Dis, and uh, Sanctum, and it's a lot of fun to play. It does really crazy things with Sanctum. The, I can I've locked people with the deck more than one occasion where they just had to say I concede. I and then of course I have my triple routine job deck, which oddly enough is uh, Dis, Shadows, and Logos, and it cycles super fast. And I absolutely love that deck as well. Those two are, are definitely my top AOA decks that I jam regularly. It's funny. I, for a little while, I feel like every time we had a guest on the show and we talked about AOA, people would always say, I love AOA. I love playing AOA. And it sort of gave me this impression of AOA as like the Keyforge, like the deep Keyforge fans, like personal fave. Maybe not mm-hmm. favorite, but certainly like deep Keyforge fans have an affection for it that I think is largely absent. I think probably because that set when it came out just felt like and then you know as we've said so many other times on the podcast that lengthy period where it just wasn't online and playable and Mm -hmm. then like the lengthy period before worlds collide came out so you just got so sick of it playing like aoa sealed and pulling like these very median decks and nothing super spicy unless you were very lucky that it kind of put a shadow over it but now that we've been able to reflect and sort of let the cream rise to the top. It's a, uh, a set that I do have a great deal of affection for, partially because of the uh, coolness of a lot of the cards in it and the way that it sort of complexed up the game or made the game more complex, as we'll see with some of the cards that we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. All right. Why don't we start things off? All right. So um, to kick things off for this, I wanted to talk about Drummer Knot, 
which uh, I will state what the card is, but I feel it is uh, not necessary. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. it is a six power giant creature from Brobnar that has a play fight reap ability of return a friendly giant creature to your hand. See, this is interesting, I think, Blake, because to my mind, this is the kind of card that doesn't change because its main interaction is with your own deck. So I can't say that it's better or worse than it ever was. It's always just been as strong as Drummernaut is in the deck in which it exists. But you say you have a counter argument to that, and I'm very keen to hear it. So I think it's not going to come as a surprise that when you think of Drummernaut, you think of Ganger Chieftain. Mm-hmm. And Ganger Chieftain existed in the first three sets. It was in Coda, was in AOA, was in Worlds Collide. Even got a mega version in Worlds Collide. And part of this combination, I have a, I have a part two to this, which is going to relate to some of the other cards we talk about. But that is that Drummer Knot and Ganger Chieftain is what everyone was looking for. It's like that's that's like a known thing. If you get that off in the certain circumstances, you can pretty much have a stranglehold on the game. Like people know that. Mm-hmm. Now, there's certain things now why this have changed, because now the board states are becoming more beefy and bigger and existing. Like, you have 12 power creatures now, 16 power creatures. You have creatures with more taunt now, it feels, that are big. And then hazardous exists more and, be, and can be given to other creatures. So the ability to play this combo and utilize the way Drummernaut worked becomes a little less effective. Because now you have to go into bigger creatures, which means it might not last. And then on top of that, you have things that exist now, which is the purging of the discard, mainly in Furnace existing. So what you do is if you know Drummernaut exists, you purge a Drummernaut from someone's deck and you know you eliminate the combo potential with many different cards, actually, for that matter. Uh, you can even have things like Flamewick Shamans that come into play and deal two damage to a creature. Like anything that has play abilities that you want to utilize, you can actually just get rid of Drummernaut and then you can't recur those in a way that happened before. And during AOA, that wasn't really a thing. You couldn't rely on getting rid of the combo pieces in that way. But now, between Worlds Collide and Mass Mutations, the ability to purge a discard and interact with someone's discard has grown. Hey, fair point. Uh, I'll buy that, actually. Uh, you're right. Board states are bigger and there's a lot of beefy creatures, so Drummernaut has changed in the way that it interacts with the board. Do you say positive or negative? I think it's negative because you there's more ways to to kind of counter it. Like there's there's answers before it was like if you don't have a big board and it can get off early you're in trouble, but now there's there's different things like being able to purge. Like I mean with the introduction of uh gateway to dis again, you can gateway the board that has the drummer ganger nut combo, then drop your infernus, purge both of those pieces and now you've essentially nerfed that entire combo and if the deck really relied on it, you've essentially nerfed the whole deck. Mhm. Yeah, fair point. So um, next up to follow this up, I have is uh, Grump Buggy. The I, I feel like th- the artifacts that came out in Age of Ascension, there were some that that basically changed the game and mm-hmm. created archetypes that that now we associate with AOA. And of course, one of those is Grump Buggy. Yeah. And to speak on Grump Buggy, it's an artifact that gives you Pip Ember when you play it. And your opponent's keys cost plus one for each friendly creature with power five or higher. And likewise, your keys cost plus one for each enemy creature with power five or higher. Less good now. Um, two reasons, and this is going to be a theme uh, for the first reason that you're going to see through a couple of these. One, um, there's a lot better artifact control now within the game. I think, uh, generally speaking, I think that most decks that have a strong artifact focus on a single artifact 
are less good than they used to be. That goes for Quixel, goes for Grump Buggy. Um, the other thing is when I started looking at the general power level of creatures in uh, uh, the current set, Mass Mutation has so many creatures at power five and up, which means mm-hmm. that, you know, back in the day when you were playing AOA, you know, if you were playing Brobnar, you were going to have the vast majority of the big creatures in most games if your opponent didn't also have Brobnar or they didn't have a strong Sanctum set. Now I feel like there's so many power five creatures spread out across all the houses. Shadows being the one notable exception where I think they only have like one creature, Shadowsaurus. But like your opponent could have Saurian, they could have Sanctum. You know, they they have so many bodies potentially that could trigger off that five effect that it's going to be harder to work it in your favor. Plus, you know, talking about giant creatures talking about all the effects that increased creatures power um across the set i i just feel like it's going to be a lot harder to make uh uh generally speaking if you're playing against a mass mutation deck and you're playing grump bucky to make it work in your favor and against your opponent i would 100 percent agree with you with that and to go further into that you also have the fact that the mass mutation decks now seem to have chosen to have amber control come in the form of increased key cost so not only are there going to be more creatures, but then they're going to be further increasing the cost with some of the things that they have that go on the board. So it could really make things uh, very troublesome in terms of forging. So I, I think you you have to be, you can't just automatically drop Crump Buggy. You have to be very aware of what's in your opponent's deck. Mm-hmm. True story. Okay, next up, we're moving on to our friends in Dece. And first up, we're talking about Anguish, which also was reprinted in Mass Mutation but did not exist in Worlds Collide, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're correct, yes. And Anguish is a six-power creature that says, for each damage on Anguish, your opponent's keys cost plus one. Better than it used to be because damage pips exist. It is so Mm -hmm. easy to put an extra damage onto Anguish to drive up that key cost. Key cost is a huge thing that you have to deal with in Mass Mutation. Like, it is Amber Control now because so many of the big Amber Control cards got nerfed or taken out of the set. So... Right now, the the name of the game is how much can you raise your opponent's key cost in a way that doesn't affect you. Anguish is a great avenue to do that, and there's lots of easy ways to put damage on Anguish in the set. So Anguish better than it used to be. Yeah, I would 100% agree. And I also think that uh, I think people undervalued Anguish in AOA because the key cost increase was not as... I guess, widely used during the time. Like that wasn't the Ember Control people were used to or looked to to gravitate to. And so since we've now seen it more of a thing, I think it's actually changed the way it's viewed and thus the creature, we all understand it on a higher level and a more like widespread scale than just a niche group of people who had that next level understanding. So I think that created a lot of uh, differential for why it's more strong. I also think that with it being a board-based set, there's lots of smaller targets for you to throw anguish into in the mass mutation era. There's so many like one, two, and three power creatures across every single house now that it's not hard to find somebody that anguish can fight and just put an extra pip of damage onto him that'll raise your opponent's key cost if you need to just do it to keep them off of a key for another turn. There's lots of sneaky stuff you can do with them. 100%, yeah, agreed. And then next up, uh, I considered this to be one of the best cards in Age of Ascension. And that's why I felt like it needed to be talked about. And it's, of course, the Action Exhume, which uh, gives you a Pip Ember. And it has the ability to choose a creature in your discard pile. You may play that creature as if it belonged to the active house and was in your hand. 
I have referred to Exum as low-key, one of the best Keyforge cards of all time. I still believe mm -hmm. that. And if anything, it's even slightly better than it used to be because there's so much removal in Mass Mutation. Um, mm -hmm. There's lots of ways to take out creatures with damage pips, with direct removal, uh, with lots of other little effects that are uh, ways of just like blowing out mutants or, you know, otherwise uh, targeting uh, creatures for removal. In fact, a lot of my best mass mutation decks specialize in that kind of removal. So Exhum is basically just a way of another way of guaranteeing, like no matter what kind of removal you have as an opponent, I have a way to bring it back. Um, we see so many combos with Exhum bringing back all kinds of cards that uh, are, are troublesome to deal with. Uh, I feel like uh, Exhum is, is still top tier and possibly even a little bit better. I would completely agree. I also like it again, for the point we talked about, which is the Infernus play. Like if you have really strong creatures uh, and it goes into your discard, instead of just having it sit there and having to wait to cycle and maybe an Infernus gets rid of it because it's so powerful, you actually have the ability to put it back into play. So it has to be dealt with again, which uh, kind of further um, infuriates your opponent's ability to just use that Infernus to choose a target that is not Ember-based. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Totally. Moving on from there, we go into our friends in Logos, and I want to talk about first one of maybe the most contentious cards that happened in the AOA set, and that of course is our friend Archie. Archimedes, the two-power creature that is elusive, and it has each of Archimedes' neighbors gains destroyed archive this creature. Uh, this card just needs to be talked about for the sheer fact that it was the ruling on it was changed, I think, three times. There was the initial interpretation the ruling that was made on it and then it was further changed again back into what everyone thought was the most like natural way you should interpret it yeah there was that weird period where where the interpretation uh by that judge at a tournament was the one that was informing everybody's thoughts on it and that was a, such an insane interpretation to me like the idea of oh well as creatures just cascade towards archimedes during a board clear they all get archived which sounds nuts and there was no way that that was working as it was intended but you know no it's just a creature on either side yeah. Um, I'm not convinced Archie is better than he used to be, um, even taking into account the exhum thing of, you know, removal is still a thing because you can remove Archie, which is always the thing that smart people playing against Archimedes do. Um, it's it's about on on par. It was good back in the day in the AOA era. It's still good. I personally think it's gotten a little bit better because of the whole increased board wipe that exists like there are more ways to just wipe a board now and so you get to it gets to go off i think a little bit more than maybe it did before but that being said it does only take like two damage pips to kind of take it out so that's also a thing so i kind of leaning more towards what you're saying where it's not quite as great as it once was as a result but this is something i want to talk about though which i'm i'm it's very perfect for right this moment is i think it's interesting that these set defining cards that had very interesting interactions what caused a lot of like i guess uproar is what we can call it didn't get printed again so like if we go back to coda like library access was never reprinted and it was a contentious card bait and switch was not reprinted and it was a contentious card mm -hmm. then you have drummer not when i like like i still think that the drummer not combo was not something that was really really fully thought out and so that happened. And then you have Archimedes again. None of these cards got reprinted since the set. And I'm wondering if that had something to do with it just performed in a way that they did not foresee. So therefore, they didn't want to bring it back. Or if we will see these in like a much later set. Because 
I think that's kind of an interesting aspect of looking at the game's progression and development, especially when you see another version of the card that comes into play. Uh, cough, cough, library card. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Or, you know, like Mark of Disc replacing uh, 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 Control of the Week. Control of the Week, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I, I see that that's the thing. It's like stuff that never got reprinted but was really strong and there was things that created um, discourse, I guess, within the community and how it should be interpreted. I find that very interesting. Mm-hmm. Totally. To follow up Archimedes, we have um, everyone's most hated and favorite card all at the same time. I know this one is one you have much love for, and that's Binite Rupture, which is an alpha card that says play each player gains ember equal to the ember in their pool. So you essentially double whatever ember you have. It's hard to say better because there's some decks in which Binite Rupture sucks. It only mm-hmm. really is excellent if you're confident that you will have a scenario in which one, your opponent has very little amber and you have a bunch, or that you have a way to double both of your amber and then steal all of your opponent's amber. Hence the classic finite rupture interdimensional graft play. I'm mm-hmm. going to say that finite rupture might actually be a little bit better in those scenarios than it used to be because there's so much key cost increase in the mass mutation era. So mm. it's very easy. Like the whole trick of finite rupture is you don't want your opponent to go over on their turn because you don't want to put them at two keys unless you have a way of, of getting Amber off of them. So you kind of want them to be at a lower amount of Amber. So when they go up, you can cut, like if you want to do a brig play, it's kind of better, but every other way it's kind of worse. I don't know. I, I haven't really decided on this. I think it's probably if you had a good brig deck or a good binite rupture, some other card combo deck, it's probably better than it used to be because of key cost increase, but it's probably worse in every other scenario. <laughs> Yeah, I see what you're saying. So you mean like because your keys cost more, you're not going to forge, then you drop it. And instead of you having like six ember and forging, you're now going to have like maybe seven ember and then you go to 14, like that sort of idea. Yeah, exactly. I, I also might think be that it got better. Key cost increase now that I'm thinking about it. Pardon? Might be a way to get over key cost increase now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. there's But there's also, I think, the side to it that is when you have it, it's stronger because you can basically do it so that you double your ember and you may have an answer but because mass mutation has such little scaling ember control Mm -hmm. that once you do go over their ability to deal with it is much less than it was like you don't have to worry about it too much to protect when you're playing against a mass mutation deck which is arguably the worst one Mm -hmm. and the the only thing that i can really think of is effervescent principle bringing you back down to what you originally had or you're going to get a bring low which is just going to put it on a creature that you could potentially kill Mm -hmm. true true so that's why I think that one might have got a little bit better because you don't have to worry about how they're going to respond after as uh, being as punishing as it was in the past. Yeah, nope, sounds reasonable. Moving on to our friends of the Martian Persuasion, we have, of course, a card that I think is very interesting and a lot of fun, and that's Glixel Proliferator, which is a three-power creature that has a reapability. Is Glixel Proliferator is on a flank archive a Mars card from your discard pile. I think a little bit worse than it used to be because there's more ways to purge cards out of people's discard, um, in furnace, etc. But I yeah. mean, Glixel's always been pretty good, especially if you have a deck that has some very, st- like it's, it's 
a key in a lot of de- Genka decks. Like not every good Genka deck has Glixel Proliferator, but enough of them have it so that you can recur the combo that it is. Yeah, a the Mars first card. proliferator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Play. Exactly. You got it. So you know, there there's lots of ways that you can you can run pl- proliferator um that is truly excellent. So, you know, it's it's a good a very good card as a matter of fact. I just think that there are ways a few more ways to deal with its power now. See again, I also feel that it's it's got the and it's it's like what you said. There's more ways to purge, discard. But I feel it also that is the counter to it because now that something you play that's important, you can actually take it out of your discard and put it into your archives. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it cannot be dealt with on your opponent when you pass to your opponent next turn. Like let's say you play your Martian Generosity and your Proliferator's out, that gives you the ability to then archive the Martian Generosity, and then your opponent cannot use their Infernus to purge it. Okay, yeah, that's that's legitimate. It's the it's the exhum concept, but with any card in Mars. So, I don't know. I I feel like Infernus is is a big part of this conversation right now. The ability to just remove a card once you've played it from the game, uh, it's it's kind of interesting. Again, I guess it also counters mimicry in that way as well with an action. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, uh, Infernus is such a staple card now that you see in so many like powerful high level decks that I think you kind of have to keep it in the conversation. Yeah, and, and there are stats to prove that it is being chosen as a component. Like, you see it show up in a lot of decks in Furnace. I believe there's some stats out there showing that a lot of tournaments, people are rocking in Furnace as their uh, as a staple in their decks. And it's understandably why it's not only providing the ability to use Ember Control, but it's also providing disruption so that if someone's cycling their deck, they can't get things back. Like it's, I think it's one of, if not the best uh, combo uh, counter because you're being able to get rid of pieces of a combo. Yeah, totally. And of course, if we're talking about this, we've already mentioned the card Martian Generosity. How do we talk about some of the greatest cards without mentioning Martian Generosity? And I know you had some thoughts on this. Martian Generosity is an interesting one to me. Um, I mean, it's 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 one that I was so wrong about. I don't know if you remember how wrong I was about this card when this uh, set was first announced and the spoiler for it came out. I was like, that seems bad. When, in fact, it was amazing, which is, you know, it's a card that, you know, you you spend all your amber and you draw two cards for each amber that you spend. So, you know, it was one of those things where it's like at a bare minimum, you're drawing two cards when you play it. At a maximum, you're drawing your entire deck. And we saw that Mm -hmm. a bunch of times, like so many decks would allow you to just draw your entire deck. So even if you're paying like a key's worth of amber, you could literally draw into so many cards that would just allow you to just stomp your opponent for turn after turn after turn, build huge boards, clear off huge boards, put down every artifact that you have, like the whole the whole schmear. I feel like Martian Generosity, you know, leaving aside the fact that if you have a good Genka deck, it's like, you know, still amazing and difficult to counter. Um, it's a bit better because of the key cost increase yep. because it's very strong chance that you're going to get to an amount of amber that will not put you over a key that you can then use to draw your entire deck and then just go on that rampage I just mentioned. So I think uh, Martian Generosity a bit better than it used to be. Yeah, that's exactly what my thoughts were. The key increase, I mean, that's that's one of the things is you don't want to stop someone from forging and put them at five ember. If you know they have a Genka deck, It's it was a matter of if they got six, you let them have it because that key is probably better than the comboing off that can happen. So you had to always take that into consideration rather than just dropping them down. It's either drop them down a ton or you drop them down or you don't drop them at all and let them just deal with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, but yeah, that that point you made where the key costs increase, like, and I think sometimes if you're when you're so used to that happening in those decks, it's like you're not realizing that. Guess what? They're about to just Martian generosity for eleven ember, which is twenty two cards, and you may have just lost the game thinking you were stopping someone. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. Like, there's so many times when I was playing against a deck with Martian generosity, and I was like, if he drops his Martian generosity now, he or she drops their Martian generosity now. It's just going to like fill their hand up with cards, but they're going to be so far behind on me on keys. And then they just, like I said, that rampage of somebody who has their entire deck in their hand is if it's any kind of good deck, you know, having access to every single card in your deck can't not be a good thing. And it's so easy to make up some of that, uh, that key cost sometimes. Mm-hmm. Next up, we're moving on to Sanctum and I want to talk about Barrister Joya. This is a five-power creature with one armor. It says enemy creatures cannot reap. Now, Barrister Joya came back, obviously, in this set. But I think when this came out in AOA, it it actually shut down some decks. Mm-hmm, totally. If you had a way to protect Barrister Joya, if you didn't have a fight in deck, it was, what were you going to do? Yeah, it's true. You know, you're going to throw all of your tiny little creatures into, you know, a Sanctum battle line in the hopes that you might actually be able to take this creature that requires six total damage to get off the board. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. Like, it was so difficult to deal with if you didn't have the right makeup of your deck. Less good than it used to be for some of the reasons that we've already mentioned. Way more board clears, way more targeted removal. I don't have a problem with Barrister Joy in most of the decks that I play in Mass Mutation. No, yeah, it's it's interesting because I remember when you were playing in the AOA side of things, it, it was more problematic. Unless when you're playing against Coda decks, because sometimes a Coda deck could literally be like, I can't reap, so what? And then literally doesn't bother utilizing their creatures and just starts generating Amber, and you're like, oh, well, that was fun. You're playing um, the game by yourself, or your opponent's playing the game by themselves. Yeah, but I I think that Barrister Joya has definitely... Um, you know what's the weird thing is I feel like I see Barrister Joya less now than mm-hmm. I did in AOA. I don't know if you've noticed that, or mm-hmm. if that's just my own bias. No, I don't feel like I see her that much, to be totally truthful. Yeah, I felt like it was it was much more um, common, and I don't know if that was the distribution was intentionally done that way because of the potential to stop reaping. But I do know there's more reap abilities that exist. I think now, which is interesting. So maybe not even from the Ember perspective, but I feel like Joya is is such a, a like a gum in the works now because of the reap abilities. Very true. All right, moving on from there, we have of course Proclamation three four six E which is a, honestly, like, I feel like such a rare card, but such an impactful card and was really a precursor to a lot of things we see more commonly now, and that's while your opponent does not control creatures from three different houses, their keys cost plus two. I hate proc. I hate playing against it so much because maintaining that balance is so difficult. So it's almost like in some decks that I was playing against it, it was like, well, I guess I just, all my keys cost eight at a bare minimum now. Like there's just Mm -hmm. no way I'm going to be able to keep three creatures on the board. These decks aren't built to have that kind of like staying power for, for across the board. Um, And all my opponent has to do to, to bone me on key cost is to take out, you know, the one or two small untamed creatures for example that i happen to be having to maintain that delicate balance um i will say worse than it used to be because of the big board nature of the set and also the fact that there's way more uh, uh artifact control and also there is artifact uh there's boro which is so nasty against cards like this that have uh that kind of effect so less good than it used to be while still being pretty good yeah i agree with you i mean the fact that creatures can stick more easily now too 
it just makes it a little bit more um, hard to make that go off. Like you can literally be like, oh, I don't care about that. I, I generally have an even distribution in big creatures, so I'm, I'm pretty much good most of the time. Mm-hmm. So next we move on to Shadows, which uh, this card, when I wrote it down, I, I didn't realize how much this card I like I rely on as a Shadows like classic and, and just so potent. And such a great skill level card too. And that's, of course, Brend the Fanatic. I know some of you are probably thinking I was going to say something else. Mm-hmm. But no, it's Brend the Fanatic, which is a three-power elf thief creature that has skirmish and says, play your opponent gains one, destroyed, steal three. What are your thoughts on this one, Alex? Because I'm, I'm curious about this. Uh, it's a weird one for me, Blake, because when I think about Brend, I never thought of it as a skill testing card, but you're absolutely right. It is a skill tester. Um, there's obviously some decks that back in the AOA era worked so well with Brend because they had so many ways to get Brent rid of Brend like right away, even in House Shadows. So it's like you could play it and then play Life for a Life, and it's like, oh, I instantly just steal three Amber from you, and what are you going to do about it? Nothing. Plus, I'm probably doing six damage to one of your creatures or something like that. It, you mm-hmm. know, insane swings that were still possible that you don't really see that much anymore. I'm trying to think if it's better or worse in the new set. I think maybe, or against the new set, I th- new-ish set now, um, I think that it might actually be a bit better because it means that people are going to be way more reluctant to dole out damage or board clears across the board. Um, you know, it's almost comparable to, um, what's that creature in disc that if it dies on your Brabble. opponent's turn, you lose three Amber? Brabble. Yeah, it's like a worse Brabble. So actually, Brend, always bad, like, to play against. Kind of worse to play against now. Dealing with it's a pain. Mm-hmm. There's also, of course, a tempting offer, though, which means you return it to their hand and then they have to deal with it again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if you have gateway to disc, you go, or even any of the board wipes and stuff, you can kind of just return it to their hand, make them have to call shadows again, give you another ember. Um, I mean, you gave them an ember too for it, so it, it kind of has that back and forth. But, yeah, I don't know. I think I think this card definitely can get killed more easily now, which mm-hmm. is something to think about in terms of when your opponent has more stuff that you're relying on. Mm-hmm. But I, I, for me, I don't think it's changed really that much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think it's amazingly better than it was when it was good. I think it's no. still good. Yeah. But but I definitely would say that it, it's going to complicate some of your opponent's board clear plans. Yeah. Now moving on to a card like how do we not mention <laughs> this card? This has become I feel like the iconic shadows card, and it's of course it's our good friend Ronald Wrist Clocks. The two power elf thief that has the play steal one. If your opponent has seven or more, steal two. My buddy Shy Ronnie, I love this cat also because I'm a, a fan of the horological arts. Um, what can we say about Ronnie Wrist Clocks? Um, he is, as you said, just an iconic card, a staple of Great Shadows decks, basically for for the two sets he appeared in. Um, here's the thing: uh, key cost increase means you're probably going to get a lot more steals out of Ronnie. Mm-hmm. because his power is steal one if your opponent has seven or more steal two there are so many games in which key cost requires people to go above six amber in order to forge a key which means you're probably going to get uh, two amber steal off of ronnie when you play him in those kind of environments so yeah i i feel like he's better than he used to be and he's always been great yeah and there's also and a lot of there's a lot of things that are symmetrical key cost increase as well so even if mm-hmm. you're playing an aoa deck or Worlds Collide for that matter, you're still getting uh, that effect 
to work to you. Like there's the new Titan that came out Mm -hmm. that makes all, if it's not on a flank, all keys cost plus one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's, there's always that aspect to it, which is going to make things uh, more, you know, in the wheelhouse of our friend Ronnie. So yeah, this card to me is, I mean, you're never disappointed to see a Ronnie in a deck. And the more Ronnie's the better. Yeah. There's, there's something about this card that it's, it feels almost like a perfect card. Like there's no one ever complains about it really. It just it does what it's supposed to do. It it's art and everything about it is just so on point with what you want to see in shadows. It almost feels like it was the bait and switch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally. Like this was the response to what to replace bait and switch. And and it's fantastic. Like I, I love Ronnie and I know a lot of people who like will say this is probably their favorite card in Keyforge for various reasons. Yeah. Totally. Talking to you, Dan. <laughs> Moving on from there, we go into Untamed to close things out. And first off, I want to talk about Dusk Witch. We mentioned this last week, but it had to be actually discussed here because um, it's an interesting card for a lot of reasons, and it's interesting to see the evolution. What are your thoughts on this? Well, Dusk Witch is way worse than it used to be because of damage pips. Mm -hmm. It's a one-power creature which means that, you know, there's, and there's so much removal in the set. There's so many ways to dole out damage across the board to a bunch of creatures. Like, I, I would never worry if I was playing even a, a moderately good uh, uh, mass mutation deck against a Dusk Witch, because I feel like I could probably, in most scenarios, get it off the board if I had to. Um, it's always been, very, like, a card that is a must-kill, an absolute must-kill in the classic Untamed Witch style. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, it's just so easy to deal with now. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't sweat it. No, yeah, it's it's uh it's kind of unfortunate. The interesting thing is you do have things like Glimmer that can bring it back or Gravid Cycle, but still that's that's nothing. It's like you're just it's just a nuisance, but you're still having to deal with it. But yeah, I'm unfortunately Dusk Witch has gotten worse. I think there was some understanding of that because Fandango came into play, which is essentially Dusk Witch, except you need four Ember, and it's yeah. not in the omega category so i felt like they they kind of decided you know what we need something that is in this vein but maybe not quite the same and a little bit more finicky Mm -hmm. totally true so moving on from that um there's two more we have left to discuss uh the next one i'm going to talk about is our last one because um the the third one i think needs to be kind of spoken about in a different context so first up we're going to talk about punctuated equilibrium which is an action card that says play. Each player discards their hand and refills their hand as if it were their draw cards step. Less good than it used to be, I think, because it's easier to cycle your deck now. Um, Punctuated Equilibrium is still awesome. It is such a massive F you to your opponent. Um, Although maybe you're helping your opponent cycle into something they need to counteract you. But more often than not, I I like I literally hate having punctuated equilibrium played on me, regardless of what I draw into because of it. Um, and also because it gives your opponent such a huge advantage because they can play out every untamed card in their hand, then play punctuated equilibrium, get you know an entirely new hand of cards so it allows them to have a monster turn while you're just having a normal turn and possibly losing a card that you were planning to use to do something with or multiple cards that you're planning to do something with i just happen to think that now it's a little bit easier to recur cards than it used to be so i will say a bit worse than it used to be while still being just an absolute pain in the ass yeah i don't think anything's changed with this card this card will always be good it's never going to change i don't think there's very many things that will alter that fact 
it's just i mean the fact that you're getting to cycle seven cards and you played more just is so powerful and it's a really it creates a nervy situation for your opponents if they have combos because you don't know if they're trying to build their combos and you're going to just suddenly pitch some of those and negate the whole thing they've been saving up for for a few turns so yeah i think this card will always be good and nothing will impact that ability so far now to close things out we have heart of the forest which i think is easily the most contentious card that exists i was i was creeping on discord the other day and there was this huge discussion about heart of the forest <laughs> and it was just like talking about the way people like i think it was even talking about not being allowed in a tournament oh wow yeah because of what it does is is like it's going to go to time it, it creates all these situations within a game that is not very common it's like it creates unique game situations that cause people to not want like i just i personally don't want to play if someone i'm playing and they have a heart of the force i'm like hey sorry i don't want to play against this like i i just don't want to play against that type of deck like i know how the deck plays i know what it does they're grindy and long and i'm just not about that life right now when i'm playing keyforge i'm not trying to play competitively like that i want to play games that are like fun and enjoyable and i and i've honestly never had fun playing a heart of the forest deck again like against one i mean i have the record for the most ember ever i've ever had happen to me was in an irl keyforge tournament at a prime a guy played heart of the forest and we by night ruptured i think four times between the two of us so we had like something like 180 ember each <laughs> something just stupid to the point we were using a magic life counter because we could no longer obviously use ember at that point so it was just wild. And then it was just a matter of waiting until my opponent got their pieces because I didn't have a scaling ember control. And it just was just waiting. And then suddenly the game just drew out. Like I was like, what do I even do? Am I supposed to gain ember now? Like what's the point of reaping? We have 180 ember. Like there's no point. So I don't like this card because I think it disrupts the way the game was intended to play greatly. And the way you play the game to either play with it or against it is not a fun situation for both well for usually the the opponent i'd say the person who has it may clearly has some sort of love for the way this plays and i know there's people out there uh jason is a connoisseur of heart of the forest and he understands this card um K jason from kip he understands this card in depth and knows how to play it and knows the ins and outs and he could probably write a 10 page essay on this card and why it is a great card and i don't think you can disregard that but for me, this card I don't think belongs in the game the way uh, it's progressing. Yeah, I uh, I gotta agree with you here, Blake. Um, Heart of the Forest is a card that um, you know what? Uh, tactically, it could be great. It is a boring game to play. Mm -hmm. Heart of yeah, the that's, Forest. That's the way to put it. Not fun to play against. Like no. And, you know, the, the object of the game isn't always to have fun. We accept this. Sometimes you're in a tournament situation, a competitive situation. The object of the game is to get past your opponent so that you can win some of those sweet, sweet prizes. But, I mean, that, that's not the sole reason that I play Keyforge. I play Keyforge to have fun with my friends first, and everything else is secondary. So I can't stand Heart of the Forest. Here's the thing. Um, Heart of the Forest, I think, is much less... Uh, terrible than it used to be to play against because there's more artifact control. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, it's still just a huge pain. 
Um, there's yeah. a reason why it wasn't reprinted. It's because it warps the game so badly it makes it not fun to play. And I think I that honestly that was don't think we'll ever see this card again. Yeah. If you and I were going to sit down and make a list of the worst Keyforge cards of all time, which would be actually be a fun episode, I think, just you and I throwing cards at each other and seeing if uh, the other person agrees with you that they're the worst. Um, Heart of the Force would be on my list just because it's not fun. It yeah, I don't think it's it's the fun. worst. I just think in terms of it's not fun. Like when I see it, I like go, oh, like that's my response. Like if I didn't notice it in the, like I've literally played against Jupiter before and he dropped a Heart of the Force. I'm like, dude, I don't want to play against a Heart of the Forest deck. Like, mm-hmm. can we try something else? Like I, I'm really like not into this type of game the way this is going to go. And I get it. Like I get how it plays. And if you're playing in high level tournaments, there is strategy and this is a way to go. But unless I'm in that paradigm, I do not want to go against this deck. Like I just don't like the way it rolls. Yeah, true. All right, I think we maybe skip Hell from Future Self this week. I know, how could we? But we definitely ran long with this discussion this week, and I feel like Heart of the Forest was our Hell from Future Self discussion in itself. Play cards that are fun. Play decks that are fun. Yeah. That's your lesson. That's your Hell from Future Self. There's the titular segment. You can find us, of course, on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and on The Crucible as Scuzzy Gruen. What's going on with you, Blake, and where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's BLVD Paper Fight, as well as my YouTube under the same name. And then I'm doing Twitch every Tuesday night under Boulevard Blake, as well as on TCO. And uh, this past uh, week, I kicked off my Dark Ember Tree. That's right, my new annual Keyforge advent calendar shout out to our boy Matt's locally who originally came up with the idea of a Keyforge advent calendar this year I've uh, taken it to another level representing all the sets that have been released within my dark ember tree you can check out my YouTube and Twitter for more on that I can't wait to check it out all right we got to get out of here thanks very much for listening until next time stay forged.